0: What's going on? Uh this is the Off the Riser podcast with your host, Michelangelo, and uh I'm running solo today. I've got some uh, interesting news for you guys. Um so a little bit of news uh for the podcast continuing on. Uh we're trying to film up some backstock. Uh I know listeners are pretty interested. Um thank you guys for your support. Um I think it's all all twelve of you. Um, I love you guys, um, tuning in and listening to, uh, to the banter and, and the, uh, interesting stuff. And uh, I'm trying to dig up uh, a lot more stuff, uh, for you guys, um, to keep it interesting. So I appreciate, uh, every listener, uh, that's been tuning in, um, in the start of this. Um, so we're expanding, um, Dylan and I have, uh, plans for a, a small little, uh, garage setup. So that's going to be interesting, uh. We're going to be uh, filming podcasts on YouTube, so that's going to be interesting if if you are one of those guys that likes to uh, watch or play uh, podcasts on YouTube. Um, So like I said, filming up some backstock, um, we're trying to get into a a rhythm of filming uh, and recording twice a week. Um, It's looking like one episode for Sunday and one episode for Thursday, so uh, I'll keep you guys uh, tuned in for that. Um so a little news for you guys uh the American jaguar is uh making some bounds in the uh southern uh, desert region of the United States uh there is a breeding population in Sonora, Mexico um and there have been increased sightings uh since 2016 uh I believe coming from the Northern Jaguar Project um uh, there's articles published by the Smithsonian if you want to check that out. Um, so the American Jaguar, subspecies of the, uh, original genus, uh, the last one was recorded, shot a female Jaguar in 1963 in Arizona, and they're making a strong comeback. Um, just thought that was interesting news. The original range of the cat was, uh, said to expand all the way up to, uh, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, northern california and possibly into oregon and as far east as the texas louisiana border with um documented populations in the early 20th century uh, as far north as colorado as well Um, the uh, northern jaguar jaguar project uh, who uh, is aiming to protect the cats from uh, habitat destruction and poaching uh, is making a a valiant and deliberate effort to see the cats, uh, reduced or not reduced, but introduced into their, uh, their original home range, uh, to an increased degree not seen since the, uh, the mid 20th century. So that's interesting news. Uh, I'm going to keep some more of this conservation type news in here for the episodes. Uh, just think it's interesting. So this one's going to run a little short, um, seeing as I'm flying solo, uh, today for you guys, We've got uh, some principles of no trace uh, straight from the website. I'll put that link in there. Uh, and then we got uh, how to start uh, for long-distance packing. Um, just some uh, guidelines and some information for you guys to wrap your head around things. Uh, we're going to dig into that um, because all the activities that we like to do uh, here on the podcast... Uh, definitely involve putting some miles uh, into your boots. So we're going to talk how to pack your pack. um, And then we're going to get into how to start training for uh, some of those long distance hikes, getting into some through hike type distance. If you're hiking over, uh, you know, I think I did the math is my uh, 15 miles per day. Uh, So that's, you know, an eight hour day. Obviously, you're going to take down camp, pitch camp in the evening, uh, unless you're freaking just an Olympian and you're doing 12 hour hikes, uh, per day. Um, and we're going to dig into the weeds with some gear selection and, and how to just become a better hiker uh, with some conditioning tips. Uh, so let's uh, get into it. So, uh, no trace. Um, so I'll give you the link here in a second, but basically concept behind no trace is if you're going into, you know, a certain wildlife area, um, especially if you go into some of the backcountry sections of national and state parks, um, there is a very strict, uh, preservation attitude towards that natural resource. And a lot of people I've just seen like a, I don't know, maybe a misunderstanding of how to preserve these areas. We, we've all seen the guys on trails, um, even you know maybe a mile from the truck if you're if you're doing a hunt in in the fall where there's just clear evidence of human trace and signs of life um for the worse, not the better uh campfires being left unattended or not swept away uh lots of human garbage trash and obviously we want to keep that out of our natural resource areas so we can enjoy the ecosystems as they're uh intended to exist by nature um and if you aren't familiar with No Trace, um, I appreciate you guys tuning in so you can uh, learn a little bit more about how to be a better outdoorsman, better backpacker, and help preserve the uh, areas that we we love and enjoy. So first principle is uh, plan and preparation. So uh, getting into that, certain wildlife resource areas um, or just you know trails in general that, that might go through your home state uh, have certain... Areas of the trail that perhaps you can't bring uh, pets for obvious reasons. If your dog uh, gets loose, it, it could have a very uh, hurtful impact on the ecosystem. There's no natural predators for for a golden retriever. <laughs> I mean, I guess unless a grizz gets it or something. Hopefully not. But uh, And then, of course, uh, preparation. So you want to make sure that you do some, uh, some research on the area that you're trying to uh, move through or camp in. And uh, make sure that all the regulations, guidelines are in order. Obviously, make sure if you need permits and everything like that. But also uh, do some research on the climate changes. Um, that's just basic, you know. If you are going to do something, you, you want to make sure you have some uh, backup information because, uh, especially for me in Colorado, the weather changes every you know thirty minutes once you start getting above like eight thousand feet. So you don't want to be one of those guys that's caught out there with uh, you know no rain gear, even though the high desert climate is supposed to be rather dry and, and waterless for late summer hikes, uh, environments can always change. Uh, so and then also just, you know, planning your route, make sure you, you know, your, uh, your route, where you're going through, um, stuff like that. So, uh, this one, uh, is a little interesting. So travel and camp on durable surfaces. Uh, and it may not seem like a big deal, uh, a lot of us are used to um, being in the backcountry or not on a design trail and, you know, or the trailhead turns from very clear and concise, or well not clear and concise, but very clear and discernible from what is not trail. And you're like, okay, what what do they mean? Obviously, I'm going to camp on a durable surface. But uh, I had an experience um, when I was hiking, uh, I think it's Pike i think it's san isabel national forest technically but i'm going along this trail uh lost the trail for a little bit until i regained it because it it wasn't really well blazed i don't think the uh, forest service had come through uh that early in the season from from last season and uh ended up falling about 10 feet on some loose shale and the the amount of damage (laughs) that one person caused with a 20 pound pack is, is hilarious. Um, I mean, it's no laughing matter, obviously. Um, in bigger cases, I've heard of stories, uh, where one hiker, you know, just, you know, falls for the okie doke and causes like a small rock slide. And that's a, that can be a a significant, um, change to that, that wilderness area as far as, um, micro terrain or small losses. And, in habitat for certain, uh, of the smaller critters and, and plants and things like that. Um, so, and obviously you want to camp on a durable surface just to make sure like, you know, one, you don't want to, um, be uh sunken in mud or, or have your campsite destroyed, but also just being aware that it's important to just look around you and make sure that, you know, what, what you're walking and, and sleeping on is a suitable surface. Um, with regards to the, uh, the regulations or whatever, uh, rules apply to that natural resource area, uh, disposing of waste. Uh, so obviously you've got areas where you might have to pack your poop out. Um, it, it annoys me. It, it, It annoys, I would imagine everybody, but just make sure that's part of your plan. Uh, you might have to pack out food, uh, Any unused food trash. So if you're eating out of, uh, like, mountain house meals and stuff like that, you might have to pack that stuff out yourself. Um, There is not a, you know, you shouldn't just bury it. Um, I think the time stamp for, I think, plastic bags and, like, that weird, like, fake aluminum foil type material, I think it degrades. It takes, like, 30 to 40 years to degrade back into the ecosystem. If it's like real plastic like a petroleum product, it it will not degrade at all. Um so just be aware that, you know, it's it's a good pra- uh, practice to to pack out what you pack in. Um so make sure you guys are, are aware of that and plan for that. Uh leave what you find, uh especially for you guys that have children. I understand that you know it's like, "Oh, look, uh, look at this stick or look at this, you know, pretty rock or something like that, but it's a good practice, especially to teach children young that you should leave in most cases, areas, how, how you found them. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, like picking up a deadhead is, is one thing, but usually those are hunting areas and the rules aren't, you know, that strict and it's not going to have a, an adverse effect on the ecosystem. But some people that might take, you know, Oh, look at this cool section of log. Well, they're, there are certain uh, insects and and certain areas where uh, varmints, um, rodents, things like that, which are food sources for, obviously, raptors, foxes, uh, martins, things of that nature. And you, you don't want to make it a habit to just be used to removing these things from the natural uh, ecosystem that that we're out here to move through and enjoy. Fire safety, this is a big one. I know there's been a uh, fire ban in Colorado since uh, the the Paleolithic age, Um, it seems like anyway, especially, you know, starting in COVID and and there's some counties that you still can't have a fire. Um, Basically, just basic basic fire safety. You want, no matter how you're building your fire, um, obviously, unless it's for survival and, you know, that's your only source of warmth, but if you're just camping, Uh, or cooking using open flame for cooking just make sure you have something to separate your fire source from the rest of the forest Um, my rule of thumb usually is uh i'll take like a a pine bough and if i'm about to camp especially in a backcountry area it's not like flattened out or anything like that i'll usually make like a three foot radius of cleared out brush so i'll just brush you know the pine needles and dead leaves and stuff like that so i have like a three foot diameter uh circle of dirt and then somewhere towards the center of that circle of dirt um i'll usually have maybe like an eight to 12 inch uh circle of like that's actually going to be my fire pit and i'll try to find like if if you have rocks put them there a lot of places have established uh like campsites where they have a like a fire pit that just look just like that like a stereotypical you know smoky the bear fire pit uh, or if you're in the backcountry um, and fires are permitted because some of those backcountry areas are, are uh, cooking stove only uh, just make sure you don't have anything flammable that the wind could brush some of your flame over and it, and it catches some of that flame uh, forest fires can start from an ember left unattended. So um that's always a good practice. Respect the wildlife. Uh that's that's pretty simple. Um it's not so much of a, you know, hey, don't <laughs> go fucking around with, you know, some animal, but just, you know, be cognizant that, you know, they're, they're here before us and uh certain, you know, areas and certain habits of wildlife are not uh human friendly. You also just don't want to disturb certain areas. Like, for instance, uh, let's say you're hiking through, you know, some alpine, you know, forest area in Wyoming or Idaho. And uh, you're not paying attention. You're just trying to make a time hack so you can get to camp because you're tired. And you end up walking through a uh, a thick, like the only thick, dense uh, forest area for a few miles. And you're like cool, let's, uh, check out this little, you know, batch of trees. Well, that might be a bedding area for some of the, uh, survey day types in that area. So just, you know, take that, that, uh, extra dimension of, of awareness and, and respect the, uh, our animal brothers and sisters out there. Uh, and lastly, just be considerate of others. Um, you know, there's obviously the etiquette, you know, if someone's, uh, hiking down, they have the right of way. If you're going uphill, um, that's just a momentum thing really if you think about it but uh you know just be considerate um if you're camping in close proximity to somebody uh probably because there's only one water source in that uh canyon or ravine or or that drainage uh you know just be considerate um try to read you know the vibes of uh people unless you're you know in a group and there's lots of things going on but you know if you come you know like through you know colorado trail or, or you're on the at or um Pacific uh, Crest Trail, you know, just those are long hikes. Um people are generally pretty chill uh if you're into the backpacking scene, but you know, just like as a bottom rule, like just don't be a dick. Um there's a lot of, you know, times where, you know, I've been trying to enjoy like some trail whiskey <laughs> or something like that and just trying to recollect my thoughts, have a good evening before I go to sleep and there's you know some guy hundred yards away hooting and hollering and they've got a huge fire and they're just making a commotion. So, you know, just be around or be considerate of, of others around you, uh, when you're out in the wilderness, um, get to know your neighbors. Um, if you guys have that speech level 100, uh, it's very considerate. Um, I've met a lot of people out in the bush that, uh, if I do see them, they're generally, uh, pretty courteous. Uh, it's really weird for me being from such an urban area originally um but they'll come right up to you and just have a nice chat and if you know say something equipment wise breaks or or falters or maybe you know something just anything that could happen small inconveniences can be solved by people that you uh treat well on the trail um the karma does come around uh so if you want to read more into that uh just uh log on to your handy dandy laptop it's uh lnt.org slash y slash seven principles and they've got more info um, about Leave No Trace concept on their website. Um, all good stuff. Okay, so getting into the uh, body of things. Uh, packing. And why I'm packing or starting with packing as opposed to training for your hike. I get a lot of people, um, friends, especially now uh that I'm getting on social media that want to either go on a, a short like conditioning hike with me because I'm still preparing for my mule deer archery hunt uh or people that are just interested in adding that to their fitness regimen um especially after hearing uh this little tidbit uh, I did some research last night uh so then the reason I'm just going to circle this around the reason why this is so important so uh, when you're walking, so this is like no weight, just walking, you know, granny style, uh, on flat ground. Uh, if you're walking at a brisk pace, so that's, you know, commonly agreed upon at like three to four miles an hour, that's somewhere around 380, 390 calories an hour. So that's just like no weight, you know, maybe like a, a one of those hydration packs that a cyclist would wear just, you know, getting it. Um, so if you add weight, uh, and the statistic I did, I'm, I'm not a professional or, you know, some biometric research assistant or anything like that. Um, but the math I did, basically, if you add 40 to 50 pounds, which, you know, it's, it's a common for anything that's longer than I'd say like like if unless you're an ultralight guy like six days seven days or more you're definitely packing in about like 40 to 50 pounds of gear um that can increase your calorie consumption per hour by up to 50 percent then you're also adding in uh you know inclination declination to grade so that's gonna bump it up a little more and if you're doing this you know getting hard in the paint, uh trying to make time hacks, you know, per day, your calorie consumption can be upwards to six to 700 calories per hour. Um, Now how this circles back around to packing your pack. So you're exerting all this energy, you're consuming water, getting after it. But if you're uncomfortable the whole time, uh, especially if hiking is something that you enjoy uh, and you're going to continue doing into, into old age, the effects that it has on your, your spinal alignment, uh, and your, your hip flexibility and things like that over certain terrain, uh, is directly dependent on how the weight is sitting on your body and how it's intended to sit with the pack. Uh, so what I I like to explain to people is, uh, and this is, we'll, we'll get deeper into this. Um, you want heavy up top squishy on the bottom. And then most uh, modern hiking packs, unless you're rocking, like, super vintage 70s stuff, they've got that uh, little pocket on the top. Um, It's, like, some people call it, like, a brain cap or a pack cap or something like that. But um, it's that little, you know, top flap, and then you've got the Velcro or zipper inside that flap, and that's for, like, easy access items. Uh, So to break it down, whether you're rocking a fixed internal frame, external frame, even if, you know, you, for some reason, are just doing you know, like a short day hike or something, uh, it's good to put that into practice, uh, how to properly pack your pack. So, you know, before you do anything, uh, obviously lay out your gear, make sure you have everything, uh, layouts, a big, uh, ordeal. I forget stuff all the time. Uh, just making sure you have everything and actually physically seeing all of your gear in front of you, uh, can help you itemize and plan your packing uh and streamline the process so night before you know you leave or maybe you're at the trailhead well that's a little too extreme but probably night before you head out to the trailhead just make sure you do like a layout of all your gear make sure you have everything and then we can start packing it in so at the very bottom um so if you got a normal pack with uh, a frame somewhere and then a waistband right so the very bottom i'm gonna say the bottom Third of the pack, um, you want to put all of your like not common or not uh, most used items in there. So that's usually going to be all your sleeping kit. So, what I'll usually do is I'll put my sleeping bag at the bottom um, because there's usually a bottom zipper or velcro for me to open my pack from the bottom. Uh, And all this stuff is squishable. So that means, uh, you know, down sleeping pads, uh, sleeping bags. um, You can roll your sleeping pad and put that on top. But uh, any uh, down clothing, um, those puffy vests, anything like that, layering systems, you can put that at the very bottom because it's squishable and that's going to reduce the amount of space it takes up in your pack. Um, If you've got like a uh, waterproof bag, usually I'll put... Uh, my clothes, especially if it's just like my thermies or, you know, some nice like wool stuff, because even though wool is very water resistant and it, it'll keep you warm when wet, you don't want to uh, just, you know, have some rain come through and maybe your pack is not water resistant. Um, and oh, now all your clothes are wet and you're having to spend time drying that out. Uh, That's especially important when you're in some of the more humid climates, um, hiking through uh, PNW, um, or in the South when humidity is your best friend. Uh, so after you get those squishy items down there, um, and you pack that down the, the, the center of your, well, I'm not going to say the center of your back. So that area right below the scapula, um, and up is where you want to put that most of that weight because how a pack is designed, um, And do your own you know research on this so you can kind of wrap your own head around it in your own way uh your weight is supposed to be distributed on your hips and the the pack straps are just keeping that weight a certain distance from your back so you know a lot of people if you ever see a hiker that is you know hunched over or leaned forward while they're hiking especially trying to get up um get up obstacles or over terrain their pack is either packed too high or they have a bunch of heavy stuff in the wrong place you want that stuff between mid-back and your scapula so that your hips can take that load like your body is designed to to operate so this is all like your metal items so your cooking kit uh, maybe some of the heavier items like if you have a very heavy waterproof coat um Let's see what else. Uh, your camera setup, if you're filming or taking pictures when you're out there, um, anything that's going to be super heavy, your tent, put that you know um, slightly above your mid back, um, and that's going to be the most comfortable place for you to pack all of those heavy items. And the padding below and above it also protects it if you have a fall or anything like that. Then on the very top, uh, so that's the part of your pack where if you open it up, undo the drawstring. And that top third of your pack is where you're going to keep, like, items that you use very routinely, but not that you would need in less than, like, two or three minutes. So, you know, items where you're going to take off your pack, maybe take a breather, stretch your back out, and then reach into your pack uh, for, like, a like a little break and, and grab those out. So, um, trail snacks... Uh, some of your like layering, uh if you've got like thermies and stuff like that, or maybe like uh one of those like running anoraks that are like wind resistant, like a windbreaker, something like that. Um, extra batteries, things like that. Uh you want to put that in your very top of your pack just so they're very easy access. Um I know a lot of companies make very good like little waterproof bags for that stuff as well. So you can label, you know, like hey, like electronic batteries, chargers in one bag rain kit and the other one uh snacks and the other one so it's it's you can do that um and then so above that um there's usually this little you know velcro or zipper in the top lid of your pack you're going to want to use that for like flash access items so like if you see a storm rolling in you're going to want to put like a rain jacket there um possibly your first aid kit it can either go in the very top or side pouch on your pack you want that readily accessible um i'd never go into the field even if it's just like a if it's anything more than just like a walk in the park literally um you're gonna want some type of uh like first aid kit to make sure that you you know stop uh you know like even even just a cut out in the bush can really uh mess up your day um if it's by chance gets infected or bugs are picking at it, if the temperature allows it, it just ruins your, your mood and your trip in general. If you have a, a, a severe enough injury to where it's going to uh, hinder you in any way from enjoying the experience. Um So um let's see what else, what else? Oh, and your water. Um Usually if you don't have a, um, a hydration bladder, like, equippable pack. Usually it sits against your back. You're going to want to put that hydration system or a Nalgene bottle or whatever have you, uh, towards the top and cinch it underneath. Um, not too tight where it'll burst or anything, but you want your water, uh, source and then your water filtration kit. If you're, uh, doing like a through hike or a backcountry hike, uh, to be at the top of your pack as well, because you're going to be refilling on natural water sources at whatever low elevation areas that you find. Um, so we've packed our pack. Um, the weight distribution is all good. Now let's talk about um training for that hike and some tips and tricks um that you can use to uh be a better hiker, um especially in the conditioning aspect. I'm gonna hit pretty hard on that. So like I said, so you're burning all these calories. Um, and we're focusing on like, if you're hiking for more than, I'm going to say more than 12 to 15 miles a day. Um, and if you're not an experienced, uh, backpacker or, or day hiker, these tips can still be applied to you. Um, it's good to put in practice, especially if you're just starting out early on. Um, number one, your feet. <laughs> you need to take care of your feet. Those are the tires that are moving your car uh metaphorically. Um your feet are the most important part, I think, um of your uh like care um when you're out hiking. So a lot of people uh the number one mistake is choosing the wrong type of footwear for the type of work that you're doing and then also not maintaining their feet as well as they should so uh footwear choice so trail running shoes or trail running types of shoes are great um i've got some cascadia i think they're 15s that i usually i'll I'll do some short distance conditioning hikes in um but what i want to hit on is ankle support um i i don't know if i have like a is a double jointed ankle even a thing (laughs) uh but uh i've had a lot of instances where i've been under load you know 40 50 60 pounds of gear and we're walking on a trail or on uh open terrain or rough terrain rather and i'm at a a canted angle maybe like six to ten degrees and your ankle is fighting to to keep your body upright on that uneven surface and i should have rolled my ankle by now um so to combat that you're gonna want a boot that's at least six inches tall and has uh ankle support um i know when you pick up the boot in like your local rei or any outdoor store that you may be shopping at it seems like a heavy rigid boot but you would want a heavier boot for the distance that you're you're going through Um, you know, if you come through like a, like an open, you know, area, you can obviously switch out your shoes. Um, it's a good practice to have like maybe a set of trail running shoes for these longer hikes, um, maybe Crocs or some waterproof socks for crossing streams and and whatnot. And then you're going to want the, the socks that you hike in and, and the boots that you're actually doing most of your, your, uh, logging your miles with. Um, so we're talking a decent boot, um, not steel toe that has um enough room for your foot to expand in because as you as you press your your heel or the midsection or your foot down your foot actually expands a degree you're um you're gonna want to do this and and there's some swelling involved after you you know you've put some decent mileage in um we might do another uh segment on you know properly choosing footwear for the backcountry um but uh, not getting too much in the weeds in this. So you want to get the right boot, a durable boot, possibly waterproof uh, if that's your thing. Um, and you want it to, to fit correctly with the socks that you plan on hiking in. So uh, the socks, <laughs> you want durable socks. Um, there's a few companies that make pretty decent socks honestly, like I'm not going to lie. Most of the times I just go in like a regular pair of Hanes socks. I do have some, uh, um, Oh, what brand is that? It's some brand out of REI. Um, I need to get some darn tough socks before the season starts. Um, one, at least two sets of lightweight and two heavies for when it starts to snow, but, um, darn tough socks are freaking amazing. Um, or at least so I've, so I've heard, uh, very durable socks, but uh, you want your sock to be consistent or your socks, plural to be consistent to your hike because that sock boot combo is what you're going to do most of your work in. Uh, you also don't want to sleep in the socks that you are hiking in. Um, and the reason I say this is like, it's a comfort issue. So your, your feet are obviously going to be relaxed when they're out of your footwear and you're sleeping in your, in your sleeping bag or tent, um you want a nice comfy lightweight breathable pair of socks for when you're sleeping so that um you don't get any like fungal issues with your feet while you sleep um especially if you've been sweating all day and you're not able to uh take a dip in a creek or a lake or anything like that um definitely air out your feet um you should allow a, you know, before you make camp and and go to sleep for the night, you should allow some time for your socks, uh, boots and your feet to air out. You never want to spend, I'm going to say if you're really deliberate about this, uh, which we, we probably all mess up if we're being honest with ourselves, you want to air out your feet every night. Um, and I wouldn't push, you know, changes of socks past 48 hours. Um, you're not going to, it's 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 likely but you're not going to you know get gangrene or anything but athletes foot on the trail is a is a big problem uh If you have very sweaty feet um, you might want to invest in some foot powder to try and soak up um that moisture uh medicated foot powder is obviously best because it has that antibacterial anti uh fungal uh additive in it that that preserves your feet through the work that you're putting them through. Um, so packs packed, you've got your proper boots selection, sock selection. Um, you understand, you know, layers, obviously I hope you also understand layers by now. Um, so the conditioning, so your, your big three, uh, workers for these long distance hikes are going to be obviously your, your feet, um, your calf muscle, I'm going to group calf and, and quad and hamstring together. Um, but the thing that's most often overlooked is actually your core strength when you're hiking. Um, and, uh, I've heard multiple people, you know, that actually are putting in like some serious miles, especially backcountry hunters. Uh, a lot of us, what we'll do is we'll be like, okay, it's now July uh and maybe if even if you do shoot your bow or rifle all year you're like okay I'm going to start training for my hunts now that started in September October you're going to start training in midsummer and what most of us will end up doing is we'll be like okay I'm hiking for long distances I need to do more cardio so we start running uh we start you know maybe y yeah, hiking uh short distances with heavier packs than we're uh supposed to be taking out to the field uh And then we'll do a lot of like leg strength exercises. So this is all going to work. However, conceptualize, if you will, uh, you know, hiking up a switchback and then you're going on a trail or off trail along a ridge and your body is having to fight gravity to stay up on a on a shelf of, say, shale or Maybe some, you know, like slippery type mud or something like that. Anything that's not at a, you know, uh, perpendicular surface to your feet. Your core is what's actually holding you up and the 40, 50, 60 pounds you have on your back. So if you've trained legs and cardio all preseason or all late winter in preparation for your summer hikes or your fall hunts, If your core cannot support that weight that you're putting on it in addition to your leg strength being applied that's a very huge mistake you're gonna want a solid core because that's where your stability and your power comes from Um, so what I like to do is I'll go to the gym and it's not like sit-ups push-ups but I'll do um, some core stability exercises Hit the uh, the little half yoga ball thing for balance, um, especially if you can bring your pack to a fitness center and do these different types of movements in your pack. Uh, get on the stair climber, you know, work those calf muscles so you can get up those hills at a certain rate. But uh, what I feel like is a kick-ass uh, workout is, say, you know, get your hikes in, Go to the gym, get the, uh, the light cardio in with no strain on your, on your uh, quads. Um, hit the stair climber for the endurance uphill and then do some like hip stability um, stretches and workouts. Um, you can Google those anywhere. And then do some balancing exercises with your pack on or a, a slightly lighter pack than what you plan to pack out there. Uh, on some sort of balancing apparatus. This will get your, um, your core used to having to, uh, adjust for the weight that is on your back and gravity fighting you at a certain angle that you may encounter out in the bush. Um, so like I said, that half medicine ball looking thing, that's good for balance. You can do, um, pistol squats on those. If you have, if you've got enough balance, um, you can do, um, you know, raise one leg, bring it down, put the other one up. That's a really simple exercise, especially for getting used to your pack off balance. Um, and if you've packed your pack incorrectly, you will soon see if you're top heavy or your load is too, too low on your back, things like that. Um, another good, um, another good practice is just to get, um, go to your local park. If you don't have any altitude, you can use, uh, urban features. Like I'm going to say, I don't know, like maybe a certain, uh, shoulder of a road that, you know, curves on a Hill and they've got that weird, like off ramp semicircle thing. Obviously don't, don't start hiking on the side of a road or a freeway that, you know, 60 miles an hour. Cards are like a three inches from your face but try to find those uneven surfaces and and train your core to get used to that feeling of hey i'm trying to support my body upright with weight on my back and i'm not walking on a flat surface anything you can do to simulate that uh through reps or for a certain amount of time of exposure for that muscle group will will drastically improve your your hiking ability um let's see so uh, nutrition. Uh, so going into nutrition for hikes, um, carbs, 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 carbs are hikers friends. I know we all have been, you know, trained throughout time that you want, um, you know, mostly carbs. And then the other half of the plate should be a mix between protein and veggies. Um, those simple carbohydrates are what's actually fueling your body through all this calorie burn. Uh, like I said, in the beginning of the episode, we're looking at 600 to 700 calories per hour. If you're keeping that three to four mile pace, uh, per hour with the load on your back. Um, so you're going to want to train to what you're actually going to encounter in the field. Um, and it's not so much as like eating a bunch of bread uh pasta is usually my best friend so i'll usually do um some oh, what is that spiral stuff it's like a spi i love the spiral stuff that i get from uh, walmart and costco It's some spiral pasta and i'll do um I'll boil that up put some olive oil and salt in that and then just add whatever veggies or uh, you could make like a cold salad kind of thing uh, that is a uh, really delicious and you can pack it out it's not really gonna spoil um, for a few days unless you um, are in like very hot temperature um, so you can seal that and, and eat that for dinner especially if you're doing a hike or a trail run the day before um, your protein can come from you're not going to want to eat a lot of heavy meat when you're doing that amount of, uh, cardiovascular work. Um, so as opposed to like eating a steak or a burger and saying, Oh, I've got, you know, carbs and protein and veggies right here. Uh, what you are going to want to do is focus on like nuts, legumes. Um, I know, uh, certain grains like quinoa, your pasta, um, Things like that that are light enough for your body to process and digest, even though you are, you know, putting some mileage in. But also, they're going to give you the the quick proteins and and simple carbohydrates for you to um, to get that nutrition and fuel for your body doing doing these uh, these hikes. Um, yeah. So. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be it folks. Thanks for uh, tuning in for this uh, little short, uh, video or uh, podcast episode. Um, so like I said, just a recap, um, we've got, uh, we're going to film some more stuff. Um, we're trying to get some stuff out for you guys. And then after about, uh, the 10th, uh, podcast recording, we're probably going to start filming, um, our podcast, put those up on YouTube Um, and of course, um, you can always check out, uh, my Instagram for, uh, more content and, uh, tips and tricks, uh, for hiking and hunting. Um, obviously just, uh, check out my Instagram, look at the, uh, link tree. The Instagram is, uh, O T R Angelo. Um, and there's the uh, link tree in my bio to all my other accounts. So thank you guys for tuning in to off the riser. Um, I appreciate every single one of my listeners, um, and, uh, make sure you guys keep living off the riser and, uh, enjoying the, uh, outdoors out there.